Can we take a moment and pray together as we get ready to learn from the Scriptures today? Let's pray. God in heaven, we give thanks to you for the glories that we have already experienced this day. Um, How glorious it is to see the rainfall today after such a dry and hot end of the summer. And we thank you that you are a God who renews life and you refresh the weary. And the rain is a reminder of that today. You've met with us in worship. We've been able to say to one another how great you are, to remind one another of your greatness. We've been able to confess before you our failings and our sin and ask you to renew our hearts. You have assured us from the scriptures that you love us as your own dear children, and now you will speak to us again from your word when we pray for lives that are ready to to receive all the truth that you have for us in the scriptures today from the prophet Daniel. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So, uh, we've been working through a series called learning to love God's Word, every once in a while we stop and kind of take a 30,000-foot overview of a section of Scripture. And we've been looking over the past few weeks at what are known as the major prophets, the major being the Latin word for longer. Uh, So the, the longer prophetic books in the Old Testament, beginning with Isaiah and concluding today with the book of Daniel. And uh, every time we're, we're acknowledging that each part of Scripture expresses God's love for us in some way, and we're asking the question, how does this particular part of Scripture express God's love to us and for us? So we're asking that question today about the book of Daniel. And um, you'll recall, over the past couple of years, we did a couple of series through the book of Daniel, and we broke it into two parts because Daniel falls into sort of six chapters of stories, narratives. Daniel and his friends exiles after the city of Jerusalem has fallen to the Babylonian Empire. And, and here these young men are, probably teenagers when they first arrive in Babylon, and interacting with the rulers of this powerful kingdom and stories about what happens to Daniel and his friends there and how God is working through them. And then the second half of the book, chapters 7 through 12, visions, highly symbolic visions of the future that God reveals to Daniel. And these stories talk to us about a period of about 70 years, around uh, 600 B.C. But these visions of the future stretch even further as Daniel sees visions that have to do with mighty kingdoms that will fall and rise Uh, including the Babylonian Empire, and then after it comes the Persian Empire, and then after it comes the the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. And and Daniel even, as we're going to hear in a moment, has a vision of a coming king, one like a son of man. Jesus' favorite title for himself. So Daniel sees into the future, even the coming of Christ himself. So usually when we're doing this, we we pick one passage from a book that helps us sense the heartbeat of that book. But today for Daniel, we're we're choosing three smaller snippets because we want to follow a theme that traces throughout the book. And and you're going to hear language about a kingdom. And a common theme through all three of these texts we're about to hear 
is that this kingdom will never end. And the first passage we'll hear comes as it's, it's in this story of, of King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he can't interpret it. And Daniel asks God for help unpacking the meaning of the dream. And we'll hear Daniel talk about this never-ending kingdom. And then we'll read the end of the story of Daniel in the lion's den under a different ruler, now Darius. Uh, the Persian Empire has overthrown the Babylonians and, and Daniel has been unfairly accused and sentenced to die and thrown into the lion's den, and God rescues him. And, and we'll hear Darius say, there's a kingdom here that won't come to an end. And then we'll hear a reading from Daniel chapter 7, one of these symbolic visions, and the coming of one like a son of man. Stacy's going to read for us. The scripture passage this morning is selections from Daniel chapters 2, 6, and 7. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. James O'Brien gets it. Just having this moment where I'm realizing, what if somebody named James O'Brien is here this morning and thinks I'm picking on him? The James O'Brien I have in mind is a British uh, radio personality. And he runs a, a talk show where he talks about all kinds of issues, some that many people would be afraid to tackle. And I'm reading a book by him now called How to Be Right in a World Gone Wrong. Uh, he's a very uh, persuasive communicator, and, and he's dealing with all kinds of issues in that book and on his radio show. Um, one of them is Brexit, you know, this kind of issue that's just torn apart people in the U.K. and uh, is now impacting Ireland and um, all, all sorts of issues there. And one of the common themes that's running through this book as I'm reading it 
is, is he is afraid that, that the media in Britain are, are shaping the, the views of so many people that it's keeping people from, from caring about truth and from asking hard questions that need to be asked. So one of the things he's convinced of is that so often broad claims are made with no facts to back them up, and people just begin repeating those claims without ever doing the homework. And uh, this just really frustrates him. And, and if you read the book, you, it just keeps, like every other page, he mentions this. And you're like, hmm, I, I'm starting to see a pattern here. Something's bothering you, isn't it? So here's what he gets. He gets the fact that somebody is going to rule the world. That somebody is going to shape how we think. That somebody is going to shape what we think is true and what we think is false. Somebody's going to shape what we reject as bad and what we embrace as good. Somebody is going to shape us in that way. And he would prefer that it be somebody who is committed to truth rather than just unsupported statement. Now, for some of you sitting here, you might think, I've heard you say that before. Yes, you have uh, in a previous sermon on Daniel chapter 2. We said exactly the same thing. Why? Because this question about whose values are going to shape us, who's going to rule the world, who's going to shape our views of good and evil, who's going to shape our views of true and false and right and wrong, who's going to write the story that we want to be a character in? Those questions... Those are the questions that James O'Brien is wrestling with every day in his work. Those are the kinds of questions that the Bible is raising when it talks about kingdom. You and I don't get up in the morning worried about kingdoms, right? We, we don't live in a feudal era where, uh, you know, you, the place you live is reigned over by monarchs. That to us sounds like ancient history. And we get a hold of this book called the Bible, and it talks about kings everywhere. And it talks about kingdoms all the time. And you read through the book of Daniel, and and you can't get away from this theme of kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. You show up in Mark chapter 1, and Mark gives you a one-sentence summary of everything Jesus ever preached. And Mark says this, Jesus said, Repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Kingdom everywhere? It sounds so irrelevant to us. But James O'Brien gets it. When the Bible talks about kingdom, it's asking these questions. It's, It's surfacing this deep longing. If there is a heart that will shape the world, is that heart itself misshapen? We, we want to know the answer to that question. If there is somebody who's going to rule the world, are they worthy of that rule? We, we are longing to know the answer to that question, whether we use the language of kingdom to ask it or not. And every time Scripture talks about kingdom, it is acknowledging that longing. We want to be led by someone whose heart is so good 
that we would be happy for people from every nation and language to say to them, would you shape our world? Would you rule over us? Would you write us into your story forever? That's what we want to explore a bit more through the words of the prophet Daniel today. To do that, we have to come face to face with something pretty unpleasant. If you let yourself sit with that longing for a few minutes, this longing, wouldn't you like to know that our world is going to be ruled by someone whose heart is not misformed, misshapen? By someone whose heart is worthy of that kind of rule. Wouldn't you like to know that? If you sit with that longing for a few minutes, pretty soon it will become an aching because you will recognize that's not what our world is like right now. And so as we come to the prophet Daniel, we have to hear bad news from him. The bad news is this, we are overwhelmed by false kingdoms that are ruled by misshapen values, by standards that just do more harm than good. If you read the book of Daniel, you just can't get away from that theme, that that there are false kingdoms at work in our world. And so in Daniel chapter 2, You read through this vision that King Nebuchadnezzar has in a dream. And and it's a vision of a statue. And the statue is made of all different kinds of metal. And uh, the first is gold, and the next is silver, and the next one is uh, bronze, and the final one is iron. And these, these, these are metals that are worth something in the ancient world. Gold and silver signify wealth and the might, the power that comes when you have riches. And bronze and iron, that's what you build weaponry out of. That's what you build tools out of to to generate a productive economy. And so these visions of all these kingdoms that are going to rise and fall and compete with each other in the the Persians are going to rise up and overthrow the Babylonians and after them will come the Greeks and and it's just never-ending cycle of, of kingdoms that value wealth and might more than anything else. And the story that they're telling is, if you are poor, you don't matter. And the story that's told in those kingdoms is, if we are winning, we must be right. And is that the story you want to live in? Do we really want to live in a world ruled by people who think that might makes right? Do we really want to live in a world ruled by people who say, if you can't afford to live in glorious splendor like the kings and queens of our empire, then you just don't matter. I mean, think about Egyptian pharaohs, right? So that I can be blessed in the next world, I'm going to crush tens of thousands of slaves so they can build me a tomb. That's the story our world is telling. The slaves don't matter, they're poor. 
They have no might. They have no wealth. I've got so much wealth that, that I want more than you can dream of to be buried with me when I am dead and gone. Daniel chapter 6 continues the story. Powerful people who do not like Daniel. If you've heard this story before, you know that there are these advisors to King Darius once the Medes and Persians have conquered the Babylonians. And these advisors don't like Daniel at all. And so they plot and they scheme and they say, this guy is squeaky clean. There is no way that we're ever going to be able to bring him down unless we trick the king. So, O king, why don't you pass a law that says for a month nobody can pray unless they pray to you. And the king says, sure, sounds good to me. Now, why did he say that? We don't know. I got one word answer. Ego? I'm just going to throw it out there. Bad law, but it can't be changed. And so what does Daniel do? Well, he keeps doing what Daniel does. He prays three times a day to the God who is king. And, of course, you know how this story develops, right? Hey, king, Daniel's breaking the law. The law we had passed just to trap him, although we're not saying any of that out loud. So what story is being told by this kingdom? It's a story in which hypocrisy doesn't matter as long as you get what you want. It's a story in which integrity isn't valued. Victory is. If we get what we want and we want to bring Daniel down, then tough luck for Daniel. And if we snooker the king, (laughs) then too bad for the king. Because if you got the power, you better use it. Chapter 7 tells a similar story. You you read Daniel chapter 7 and and, and Daniel sees these visions of these empires, some of the same empires that we already talked about earlier, but this time they're not pictured as gleaming metals that make up a statue. They're portrayed as terrifying beasts, a lion that devours and a bear that terrorizes its victims. And, and you walk away with this sense of the world is just made up of people who are looking to tear you apart. And powerful people will do whatever it takes to justify holding on to power. And that is the bad news of the book of Daniel. That there are false kingdoms at work in our world. That there are people shaping the world who have no right to be doing so. There are people forming the hearts of others whose own hearts are misshapen. There are people with power who are not worthy to hold it and wield it. And that could leave us in one of two places. It could just discourage us. I mean, imagine being Daniel and his friends, these young 16, 17, 19, 20, 21-year-old men enslaved, uprooted from their home, and they're having to live in Babylon, the center of power in the ancient world, and just the day-to-day grind of going... I am just a peon slave in a system that is too big for me to do anything about it. 
and the discouragement that comes from just feeling like the machine is so big and who am I and what can I do? And sometimes that discouragement could lead to another result. Seduction. Like if you live around that long enough, you might start to say, well, maybe this is just the way the world is. Maybe it's not so bad to maybe it's not so bad to have a lot of money and power. <laughs> maybe it's not so bad to do whatever it takes to hold on to money and power. Maybe crushing a few people underfoot is just the price you have to pay for progress. Maybe it's okay. This happens all the time, right? Let me give you one example. We could come up with tons. The reason I'm going to give this example, it just happens to be in a book that I'm reading right now about fundamentalism, or the rise of, of radical religious movements around the world. And uh, it's written by a scholar of Islam. And so one of the examples that she gives is what happened in 1988 when the Ayatollah Khomeini was uh, dying. And he wrote a letter essentially saying, Muslims love the law of Allah more than anything else. Islam means submission to the law of Allah. But in this letter, this ruler said, but the state is higher than the law of Allah. And whatever we have to do to hold on to the power of the state, we will do it. And even if it means breaking Allah's laws. Now we hear that and we we ought to be angry about it. It ought to frustrate us. What kind of hypocrisy would say that? But that's the world we live in, right? Our, our own hearts are not immune to that kind of sense of, I will do anything to hold on to my vision of prosperity and peace. And even if I have to hurt someone to cling to it, I will. Whew, that's very heavy, isn't it? All right, let me tell you this. I love you. I love you. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to love you. I'm never called to expose a wound without applying something that will heal it. So if we've talked about bad news, what are we going to talk about next? Good news. The good news from the prophet Daniel is that God is going to establish a kingdom that operates on a totally different set of standards than what we see in our world. That God is not going to leave the world as it is, and He is going to use us, His people, to bring about the change that only He can accomplish. And He's going to establish a ruler, a king, that we can follow, who will lead us into a kingdom whose values are just radically different from what we see in our world. So, these values reveal the heart of the king, and at the same time, they reveal the law of the kingdom. These values show what our God is like, and they show what our lives ought to be like. Because we love him, we want to honor him. Here's the first of the values we could talk about. What appears to be worthless is actually the most powerful thing in the world. 
When you read Daniel chapter 2, he has this vision of this, uh, the, the king's dream and, and these glorious metal statue made of gold and silver and bronze and iron, all of which is prized and worth a ton of money in the ancient world. And it's all shattered by a stone. And stone is worthless. I mean, it's okay. But you know, if your stone breaks, you can just go carve out another one. If your rock gets lost, you can find another one in the part of the world that Daniel lives in. If you lose gold, you can't run out and make more of it. Stone, cheap, disposable. And here's Daniel saying, in the end, God will use a stone to crush all of these mighty kingdoms. In the end, all those kingdoms will be destroyed. But this new kingdom God is setting up, where the worthless is powerful, that kingdom will endure forever. Here's another value of God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, weakness attracts love instead of diminishing it. God's not a gambler. God wouldn't bet on sports. Here's what I mean by that. How does sports betting work? Where do you invest your money? Winners. I'm only going to invest my money on the teams made up of strong winners. I'm only going to put my bet down on people who are strong enough to make me richer or make me look smarter. That's how sports betting works. I want to look like I know more than you, so I'm going to bet on the strong team. I want to have more money than I've got right now. I'm going to bet on the team that's going to win. Now, I'm going to bring up a touchy subject, baseball. Okay, the Cardinals, my favorite baseball team, had a really good inning at the expense of the local club. Cardinals scored 10 runs in the top of the first inning against the Braves. You should have bet on the Cardinals that day. They were the winners. The Cardinals have not scored a run since, right? I mean, 23 innings, four hits, zero runs. We're now down 0-2 against the Nationals. 88% likelihood that the Nationals will win this series. Who should you bet on? I'm not betting on the team whose weakness has been exposed. I'm not betting on the team that looks like a loser. How cynical would your heart become if that's the way you always evaluated the world? I'm only going to back the strong, the winner, the one who will make me look wiser and more wealthy. And listen to what God's kingdom is like. King Darius sees it. He says, God who saved Daniel ought to be worshipped by people of every language, people of every nation. And here is why. Because he rescues and he saves 
He saved Daniel from the power of the lions. God didn't say, oh goodness, it looks like the lions will win and Daniel will lose. My money's on the lions. God didn't say, it looks like these scheming bureaucrats are going to get their way. I think I'm going to back them. Because Daniel is in his helpless, vulnerable, weak position. That is not what God is like. Weakness doesn't make him run away from us. Weakness only draws his love to us. You need to know that today. That there is a God in this universe who will not run away from you when you are down 0 to 2. He will not take his backing away from you when you are at your worst. He will not run from you when you are your most needy and weakest self. That will only make him express more and more care for you. He is the God who rescues and saves the needy and the helpless and the weak. That is the heart of the king, and that is the law of the kingdom. And that is good news. Here's one more kingdom value in God's kingdom. Glory hidden for the good of another. It's what establishes the right to rule. In God's kingdom, things that look worthless are actually very powerful. In God's kingdom, weakness draws and attracts His love instead of diminishing it. And in God's kingdom, the thing that shows you have the right to rule is this question, are you willing to hide your glory for the good of another? Hidden glory. Daniel sees a vision, chapter 7. At night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Now we hear that language, and in the context of Christian worship, we can think, hmm, that's very exalted language. Son of man coming with the clouds of heaven? But let's read it from from Daniel's framework. The phrase son of man simply means human being. So when you see a vision of somebody who looks like just a human... Coming with the clouds of heaven, you're a little bit disappointed. Who ought to be coming with the clouds of heaven? It ought to be a glorious God. It ought to be a heavenly figure. And coming with the clouds of heaven, I see this great vision of somebody who appears to just be a human being. One like a son of man. And I'm in this book where, where real kings, real rulers, real people who hold power have been portrayed with these brilliant images of gold and silver and powerful metals and worth lots of money and wealth or as brutal beasts who can just impose their will on the world without anybody to stop them. And instead now I see this one who just looks like a human being And nothing is said about his glory or his splendor or his wealth. And I'm not given any reason why I should be glad that he's coming. It's all a bit underwhelming. I mean, I go on and I read. 
that all authority and glory and power was given to him so that all peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him, the NIV says. The the little word is, is served him. So here is this one whose glory is kind of underwhelming, coming to establish a kingdom that will never end. And he will be served by people from all over the globe. And we don't know why. Jesus told us why. Matthew 20, verse 28, he says this. You guys are wrestling about who's the greatest. That's not what it's going to be like in my kingdom. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. That's the end of the story Daniel is telling. Jesus says, One day I will be recognized as that glorious figure from Daniel 7, coming with the clouds of heaven and honored by people from every nation. But first, my glory will be hidden, and I will appear to be nothing more than the lowest of servants. Not the slave, but the one whose life is worth less than the slave, so that I would lay my life down to free the slave. That's what ransom means. A price paid to set the slave or the prisoner free. I will hide my glory for the good of the weak. To free the weak, I will become weak. To free those who feel worthless, I will take on the appearance of worthlessness. To free free those who are despairing, I will endure despair. To free those under oppression, I will experience persecution and oppression myself. And in this kingdom, the heart of the king asks the question, how much can I give so that others can know freedom? Not how much can I own, Not how much can I get away with. How much can I give? Even if it means hiding my true glory for a time. For your good, I will do it. That's the heart of the king. That's the law of the kingdom. But it's also the glory of the kingdom. It is the thing that makes us say, God, if your kingdom is ruled by this kind of king, a king like Jesus, then I want people from every nation and culture and linguistic group to say to you, would you rule over us forever? I long to be part of that kingdom. I long to be character in the story that you're writing about this king. Let's take a moment and pray. Father in heaven, some of us don't really want a king. We want to live our own way.
but we don't trust our own hearts. So we long to trust a heart that is worthy. And you have shown us from your word that you want the world to be ruled by one whose, whose heart cannot be corrupted by wealth, by one who could have more might than all the armies in the world put together and would still be humble and just and a lover of peace. And in Jesus, you have given us that kind of world shaper and story writer and king. And would you draw us to be more willing every day to have our hearts beat with his heart? We pray in his name. Amen.